morning. Good morning. Did anybody show up early this morning? Did you enjoy that extra hour of sleep? I certainly did. Would you turn with me to Exodus chapter 32? We're getting back to our study in the life of Moses after about a month of doing other things here on Sunday morning. And we are in Exodus chapter 32. If you did not bring a Bible this morning, you might find one under the seat in front of you. Encourage you to read along with us. Second book in the Bible, Exodus chapter 32. Lord, what a beautiful day. What a beautiful group that you've gathered here. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the privilege that we all have of serving you together, knowing you, representing you in this community. I pray, Lord, that you'd bless our time in your word. You'd give us instruction. Give us warning. Give us wisdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 32 is, well, it's a tough chapter to study in the Bible. Because it records one of the grossest, most blatant sins and acts of idolatry In the history of Israel. I mean, you read what Israel does in this chapter and you almost can't believe what you're reading. It's so bad. Context. God has been so good to the nation of Israel. He's delivered them out of the land of Egypt in miraculous ways. The ten plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea. He's led them through the wilderness pillar of fire by night, cloud by day. He's provided for them miraculously in the wilderness. He's brought them to a very important mountain, Mount Sinai. They're encamped before Mount Sinai. God appears to his people in power, gives them the Ten Commandments. They agree to a covenant relationship with the living God. And so here in chapter 32, the people are encamped at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And Moses, their leader, is at the top of the mountain meeting with the Lord, getting more instructions, the blueprints for the tabernacle, the instructions for the priesthood, and all of that. So Moses is having this glorious time with the Lord at the top of the mountain, 40 days, 40 nights. And the camera pans down to see what's going on at the bottom of the mountain. And we read, verse 1, When the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. And Aaron said to them, 
Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears, brought them to Aaron. He received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast day to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, brought peace offerings, And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is so wrong on so many levels. The people of God making an idol. An idol in the shape of a golden calf. And it's deliberate, it's intentional. Extreme care is taken. Gold is collected, melted down. An engraving tool is made. The shiny golden cow. It's it's presented before the people. This is your God who led you out of Egypt. And in my imagination, I imagine all of the people beginning to chant, This is our God. This is our God. This is our God. Aaron builds an altar before the golden calf. He makes an announcement. Tomorrow will be a feast day to the Lord. Tomorrow we celebrate. Tomorrow the people of God gather and worship. They get up the next morning. They offer burnt offerings and peace offerings to the golden calf. And then their gathering degenerates into pagan revelry. What it says at the end of verse 6, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's all pagan revelry. It's drunkenness, it's sexual immorality. The Living Bible paraphrase version says... So they were up early the next morning and began offering burnt offerings and peace offerings to the calf idol. Afterwards, they sat down to feast and drink at a wild party, followed by sexual immorality. So this becomes like one of those drug, alcohol-infused, underground sex rave parties. Just absolutely despicable. The worst thing that you can possibly imagine for God's people. And please understand that this was a blot on the history of Israel. This is so bad, it's woven into their history. This is a permanent fixture in their chronicles. This sin will be retold of time and time again from generation to generation. Hundreds of years later, the psalmist writes... They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped 
the molded image. Thus they changed the glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. Nehemiah will speak about this despicable sin hundreds of years later. Stephen in the New Testament, in his testimony before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7, mentions this sin. So terrible it was. How did this happen? Why did this happen? Well, there's some practical reasons. Number one, they didn't have good leadership. There was weak leadership. Now, Moses is their leader. He's their strong leader. He would not have let that happen. But he's up on the mountain. And he's up there for 40 days, 40 nights. Perhaps he's up there longer than anyone anticipated, including Moses himself. And so, you know, in this passage, the people go, we don't know what happened to Moses. Mount Sinai was a scary place. Remember, sometimes uh, people were cautioned from going up to Mount Sinai because they might be killed in the presence of the Lord. They're thinking maybe Moses blew up or something at the top of the mountain. There's no leader. Aaron is the older brother of Moses, positioned to become the first high priest of Israel. He's a weak leader. He should never have let this happen. But he's complicit. He encourages it. He participates in it. Weak leadership or lack of leadership will always lead to trouble. And that's why, my friends, I pray that there are strong, courageous Christian leaders in every church around this world. Leaders who will not fail to teach the truth, no matter what it does. No matter how that might put them at odds in people. We need strong leaders. There's another reason, impatience, uncertainty, confusion. Verse 1 says, when the people saw that Moses delayed. So there they are in the camp. They're down at the bottom of the mountain. Moses is gone. They're wondering, what do we do? They're uncertain. What's taking Moses so long? He might not even be around. So instead of waiting, they get impatient. And they push forward. And they carry out this wicked thing. They should have waited. Brother, sister in Christ, don't ever get impatient with God. You know God sometimes puts you in holding patterns? On purpose. Wait on him. And certainly, if there's something in your life that you're confused about, you're uncertain, don't do anything until you get the go from the Lord. He's going to show you. If you get impatient and run ahead of God, you can make a mess. You know, like the brother who says, I'm so tired of waiting for a Christian wife. I'm going to go find female companionship in a nightclub or a bar. It can lead to all sorts of trouble. There are times when we're called to wait patiently. The problem is we hate to wait. We're Americans. We get our packages delivered next day, 24-hour 
Don't let those waiting periods, those uncertainty, man, don't let that cause you to run ahead of the Lord. And then there was another reason for this, plain old peer pressure. You read in the passage, it says, the people gathered to Aaron. The people gathered with their earrings. The people came together and said, this is our God. I personally believe, because of other details that you'll read later in the chapter, that out of a nation of about two and a half million, there were 3,000 rebels who were the instigators of this. And it's very impossible that these rebels may have even been what the Bible refers to as the mixed multitude. Exodus chapter 12 says there was a mixed multitude that came out of Egypt with Israel. Perhaps some Egyptians. And I think there were some main guys that came up with this idea, moved forward with it, begin to spread, and what we have here is mob mentality. Peer pressure, and it even had an impact on Aaron. Listen, no matter how difficult it becomes, we are not to follow the crowd into sin. We are not to follow the crowd into idolatry. And listen, we do live in a day and age when there are many voices, even within the Christian church in America, that espouse and practice ungodly things and try to influence others to do the same. Man, there's one voice you listen to. And that is the voice of the Lord. So... Weak leadership, uncertainty, waiting, peer pressure caused this, led to this. So there were severe consequences to this act. The Lord is meeting with Moses at the top of the mountain. He knows what's going on at the top of the mountain. He informs Moses. You read that his wrath burned hot. Against his people. In fact, you even read of God saying to Moses, how, I buy, how about I wipe them all out and start over with you, Moses? I'll make a family of you. Moses intercedes, prays for his people, and that's what God was doing, drawing him out into this intercession. So God does not do that, but God does send Moses down the mountain. So look at verse 15. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain. And the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides and on the one side and on the other they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. You know, I'm always impressed at at how, man, Moses was in good shape. 80 years old, he's going up and down the mountain. Now he's carrying two stone tablets, much heavier than our tablets today. They were made of stone. So here he is, he goes down the mountain carrying those stone tablets on which the very finger of God had written the commandments. Now you'll see as he goes down, 
he's going to run into his assistant, a man by the name of Joshua. Joshua is not down in the camp. He's not participating. He's assistant, and the Lord is enabling him and allowing him to kind of wait for Moses about halfway, three-quarter up the mountain. So as Moses comes down, he runs into Joshua, who will accompany him all the way down. And as they're getting closer to the bottom, they hear a loud noise. Verse 17 says, when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he, Moses, said, it's not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat. It's the sound of singing, I hear. What a detail. The roar of pagan revelry. Sounded like the roar of war. I wonder how God felt about hearing that sound. And you know, I wonder how God, what he thinks about the roar of pagan revelry that comes out of stadiums and pagan festivals. I wonder how he reacts to the roars of shouting and dancing and pagan reverie that comes out of nightclubs and bars and parties. I wonder how that sounds to the Lord. I don't think we should be a part of that. I think we should join our voices together in praise and be a part of the roar of worship and praise that would go up. Well, they get closer. Buckle your seatbelt. Verse 19, so it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot and he cast the tablets out of his hands, broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire, ground it to powder, scattered it in the water, and made the children of Israel drink it. That is hardcore. That is an angry, righteous man of God at work. He put an end to it. Those stone tablets that he had... Threw him to the ground. Now understand, he didn't do that in a, in, a, in a fit of rage. It was symbolic. He was telling the people, you've broken the covenant. The, pro- the covenant that you promised to keep with your God is now broken. So he broke the tablets. Then he pulverizes the golden calf. Turns it into powder. Puts it in the water. They drink it. Golden cafe lattes. For everyone. Sorry, I couldn't resist that. Probably made them sick. Because sin should make you sick. And idolatry should make you sick. And that God was a waste. That idol was a waste. 
And so it would become their waste. Literally. Moses then goes on to rebuke Aaron. And you're about to read one of the worst excuses in all of biblical history. Verse 21, Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you've brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it into the fire and this calf came out. (laughs) Dude, you should have been there. What a lame excuse. Aaron, I thought you were smarter. But you know what? Sin makes you dumb. Makes you come up with the most lamest of excuses. It is by the grace of God that Aaron didn't die. And do you realize the scripture says he would have? But Moses interceded for him. You read the story, and as it goes on, 3,000 rebels in the camp were killed with the sword. And I personally believe it was those 3,000 that were the instigator. Now, everyone got a chance. Everyone got an opportunity to repent. But there were these 3,000 that remained unrestrained. There was a fight. They were slaughtered. The rest repented. But God still plagued them with sickness. The message was very clear from the Lord in this incident. You will never, ever do that again. That will never happen with my people again. So there are a lot of sins that were being committed in this incident. But there are two main sinful behaviors that God was seeking to purge his people of forever. And the first was this. The the people of Israel in this incident were guilty of going back to demonic Egyptian deities. See, God redeemed them from Egypt, took them out of that land, and they were so glad to be set free. But you remember, they still carried with them an affection for Egypt, didn't they? In fact, whenever they got into any type of trouble in the wilderness, they'd say, Moses, why did you take us out of Egypt? We ate so much better in Egypt and all. They had this heart for Egypt. Well, here they've taken a dangerous turn because they've gone back to the deities of Egypt. Golden cow. Why? Was that random? Were they like, hey, let's make a golden cow. That sounds good. No, this was something that they had seen and learned about in Egypt. The Egyptians had a whole pantheon of gods that they would worship. 
it all depicted in different ways. And they had this god, a main god of Egypt. It was called Apis. It was the god of strength, power, virility, sexual stamina. And it was pictured as a calf, a bull, a cow. According to their legends, some cow got struck by lightning, and when the lightning bolt hit, that cow got impregnated, and out came this Abus, who was this divine cow of some sort. And whatever the case, it evolved into something where they were worshiping the cow, and they would worship the golden image of a calf. And guess how the Egyptians would worship? Drugging, drinking, dancing, sexual immorality. Now the nation of Israel has been living in Egypt for 400 years. They've seen that. Perhaps they even participated in that. And perhaps again it was that mixed multitude of the Egyptians that came out that propagated this. Whatever the case, they were guilty of going back to some really, really dark stuff. Now listen, God redeemed them from all of that. God redeemed them. Those ten plagues against Egypt were decisive victories against many of their deities, including Apis, when all the livestock were killed in the judgment of God. God is saying, you will never go back to those Egyptian demonic deities. Again, don't ever let that happen. My brother and sister in Christ, I I need to share this with you. Christianity is also a clean break with Egypt. Christianity is a clean break with the world. You've given your life to Jesus Christ. He's died on the cross for you. He's redeemed your life. You are to, there is to be a break from worldly living, worldly worship, worldly behavior. And I'll tell but I'm having to wait too long for stuff. I'm confused about certain things. I'm going through hard times in life. Listen, no matter what you go through, you don't go back to the world. You keep going forward with the Lord. Now, we may not have golden cows today that we worship. But as a Christian, you can be tempted to go back to worshiping gold. I'm done serving Christ. This isn't the way I thought it would be. And you go back to making all of your money and being worried about all of the different treasures of this life. Or, I'm done serving the Lord. I'm going to go back to that wild crowd that I used to know. Or I'm going to go back to that, the alcohol and the drugs and that wild side living. Don't do that. There are many Christians, and I, I fear, they oscillate. They're hot, they're cold, they're in, they're out. All dependent upon how they feel. 
or what they happen to be going through. Don't go back to worldly living. Don't do it. You imagine churches all over planet Earth filled with Christians who will never go back to the world. Full steam ahead following Christ. Imagine the the difference we'd make. Sadly, there are many churches that are filled with Christians who will compromise at the slightest drop of whatever issue it might be in their life. Listen, we are told in 1 John chapter 2, this is to Christians, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So there there needs to come a moment in every Christian's life where you draw a line in the sand Where you decide, I'm going forward with Christ no matter what. Where you say goodbye, I'm not going to live in the world like that. I'm going to serve Christ. And you should, because he loves you. And because he redeemed you. And he's got the best life for you. Love the Lord. Don't cherish your love anything else in this world. Trust the Lord in all circumstances. Wait upon him. Be willing to stand alone if necessary. Even in the company of other Christians who might be doing things wrong. Love his word. Obey his word. Love his commandments. Keep him. This is the safest path. It's the safest path. So that's a sinful behavior. And then there's another extremely sinful behavior that God is purging his people of. They were guilty of making an image of God. Grossly misrepresenting God. Now they had just been given the Ten Commandments. How many of you recall the first two commandments? The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. That's One God, worship that one God. The second commandment says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is on the water and the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. You are not to make any image of God. And that's what they did. And by the way, please understand, this is tricky. You might have missed it. That camp didn't create a new God. They weren't switching gods. They were still worshiping their God. But they chose to picture him with this image. They're misrepresenting the one true God. I mean, in that passage, 
They all say, here, this golden idol, this golden cow, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. When Aaron says, tomorrow we're going to have a feast for the Lord, he uses the covenant name Yahweh, Jehovah. They've equated God with this golden cow. That is a very big no-no. You never make an image of the living God. You could sort of sum up those first two commandments this way. Don't worship the wrong God. And don't worship the right God the wrong way. And in the Bible, it's very clear. God will not be worshipped with an image. Now that's still true for us. You're not to worship God using a picture of Jesus by candlelight. You're not to worship a statue or an icon or beads or a stained glass window. You're not to use anything like that. Now, some of you might say, well, what's wrong with that? We're visual people. We need visual aids. God's invisible. Maybe this could help. No, you're not supposed to do that because God said don't. And he is purging his people of that in Exodus chapter 32. By the way, they get the picture. They will never make an image of God again. Now, they'll go on and begin to worship false gods, but they'll never, they'll never make this mistake again, and nor should we. Why is it so wrong to use an image in worshiping the true God? Because any image that you might use grossly misrepresents the living God. It obscures the glory of God. Could there be any image made by any artist that would fully capture all that God is? No. God is way beyond. And using that will sort of pervert your view of God. And when you get a perverted view of God, your worship becomes perverted. Your life isn't complete. So don't ever use that. And I would take it further. It's very important that you not in your mind, in your intellect, in your belief system, make God in an image of your own making. You know, you you begin to think of God in such a way that justifies your actions and your beliefs. Don't do that. I've met the people. Oh, God is a, a gentleman, an old grandfatherly Santa Claus who wants me to be happy, so whatever makes me happy, I'm good. No, that that is not right. Or I see God as... This life force, you know, like in the Star Wars movies. No, that's not who God is. There are people that say, well, God will come in many shapes and forms and sizes. And he's called by different names. 
That is not true. That is inaccurate. You know, there's a very popular slogan out right now that a lot of personal motivators are using. And they say they beat this drum. Live your truth. Live your truth. Now, there's one truth. And please understand, there is one God who is who he is. And you don't get to define him. You don't get to make him up. He's the creator. He's the maker. And you must worship him as he is. And come to him as he is. Now God has revealed himself. God has revealed himself in a book. And in the Bible, we find out so much about God. We find out all about his attributes. We find out about his holiness, his power, his love, his grace. And so that's why as Christians, we must be lifelong students of God's word. You read God's Bible, to, you, you read the Bible to get to know God better. And so your sense of God is from the biblical revelation. And as you worship him and discover more of him, you'll become more like him. By the way, speaking of God revealing himself, you know how God revealed himself most greatly? His son. God sent his son who came and died on the cross for our sins, the ultimate manifestation, the ultimate revelation of God. John says in John 1, the word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1 says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. Philip asked Jesus in the upper room, Lord, show us the father and it's sufficient for you. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. You want to know what God's like? The real God? Study Jesus in the gospels. Don't fall for images. Don't fall for religion. You find everything you need to know about God here. And how he's been revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Exodus 32, tough chapter, but very, very important chapter. Very important. Still applicable to God's people today. We are to worship the right God. We are to worship the right God the right way. And once we've discovered the right God and what he's done, we'll never leave him. We'll never go back. Full steam ahead. Let's bow our heads.
Lord, we just confess this morning. You are the Lord. You are God. We are your servants. You're the maker. You make all the rules. And right now, as your people this morning gathered here, we want to submit ourselves to you afresh. Lord, I pray for any of my brothers and sisters in in Christ here this morning. And, And Lord, these are the ones that are oscillating. They're always up and down. They're always running away from the world and right back into the world. I pray for a clean break this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd Help them to draw that line in the sand and to trust you with that. Lord, if we follow you 100%, you're going to lead us in good paths. You'll take care of us. Father, I want to pray for anyone here this morning who's been playing games with their concept of you. playing games with the words of scripture, twisting things to justify their actions. Lord, I pray that we'd repent, we'd come back. Lord, I pray for all of us that are Lord, that our our perspective of you would be shaped as it should be by your word and by truth, not falsehood. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, the Lord does make the rules. The, the, The one true living God defines the parameters. And the Bible is so clear. It tells the story of a sinful human race, a race that has fallen into sin. And that sin separates us from God who's holy. And there's condemnation because of sin. And yet, God in his grace has provided the means by which your sin can be forgiven now and forever. He sent his son Jesus to die for you, to redeem you. He shed his blood for your sin so that your sin could be paid for. He took the price that you deserved. He took the punishment. And on the third day he rose again and he's alive. If you put your faith and your trust in him, you will find salvation. If you haven't done that, do that right now. Put your faith and trust in Christ. Just in a prayer of your heart, Lord, right now, I put my faith and my trust 
in you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for shedding your blood. Wash all my sins away. Forgive me. Make me yours. Make me a child in your family, a citizen in your kingdom. And help me to follow you and serve you all my days here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together.